just about. Mares are a little more sensitive. Sometimes you have to be there to help the mare, and sometimes, well, if it's wrong, you have to... He paused. Have to what, Dilly? Have to tear the colt to pieces to get it out, or the mare will die. But it won't be that way this time, will it, Dilly? Oh, no. Nellie's thrown good colts. Can I be there, Billy? Will you be certain to call me? It's my colt. Sure, I'll call you. Of course I will. Tell me how it'll be. Uh, you've seen the cow's cabin. It's almost the same. The mare starts groaning and stretching, and then, well, if it's a good right birth, the head and the forefeet come out, and the front hoofs kick a hole, just the way the calves do. And the colt starts to breathe. It's good to be there, because if its feet aren't right, maybe he can't break the sack, and, and then he might smother. Jody whipped his leg with a bunch of grass. We'll have to be there then, won't we? Oh, we'll be there, all right. They turned and walked slowly down the hill toward the barn. Jody was tortured with a thing he had to say although he didn't want to. Billy, he began miserably. Billy, you won't let anything happen to the colt, will you? And Billy knew he was thinking of the red pony, Gavilin, and how it had died of strangles. Billy knew he had been infallible before that, and now... He was capable of failure. This knowledge made Billy much less sure of himself than he had been. Well, I can't tell, he said roughly. All sorts of things might happen, and they wouldn't be my fault. I can't do everything. He felt badly about his lost prestige, and so he said meanly, I'll do everything I know, but I won't promise anything. Nellie's a good mare. She'll, she's thrown good colts before. She ought to this time. And he walked away from Jody and went into the saddle room beside the barn, for his feelings were hurt. Jody traveled often to the brush line behind the house. A rusty iron pipe ran a thin stream of spring water into an old green tub where the water spilled over and sank into the ground, there was a patch of perpetually green grass. Even when the hills were brown and baked in the summer, that little patch was green. The water whined softly through the troughs all the year round. This place had grown to be a center point for Jody. When he had been punished, the cool green grass and the singing water soothed him. When he had been mean, the biting acid of meanness left him at the brush line. When he sat in the grass and listened to the purling stream, the barriers set up in his mind by the stern day went down to ruin. On the other hand, the black cypress, the black cypress tree by the bunkhouse, was as repulsive as the water tub was dear. 
for to this tree all the pigs came, sooner or later, to be slaughtered. Pig killing was fascinating, with the screaming and the blood, but it made Jody's heart beat so fast that it hurt him. After the pigs were scalded in the big iron tripod kettle and their skins were scraped and white, Jody had to go to the water tub to sit in the grass until his heart grew quiet. The water tub and the black cypress were opposites and enemies. When Billy left him and walked angrily away, Jody turned toward the house. He thought of Nellie as he walked and of the little colt, and then suddenly he saw that he was under the black cypress, under the very single tree where the pigs were hung. He brushed his dry grass hair off his forehead and hurried on. It seemed to him an unlucky thing to be thinking of his colt in the very slaughter place especially after what Billy had said. To counteract any evil result of that bad conjunction, he walked quickly past the ranch house, through the chicken yard, through the vegetable patch, until he came at last to the brush line. He sat down in the green grass. The trilling water sounded in his ears. He looked over the farm buildings and across at the round hills, rich and yellow with grain. He could see Nellie feeding on the slope. As usual, the water place eliminated time and distance. Jody saw a black, long-legged colt butting against Nellie's flanks, demanding milk. And then he saw himself breaking a large colt to halter. All in a few moments, the colt grew to be a magnificent animal, deep of chest, with a neck as high and arched as a seahorse's neck, with a tail that tongued and rippled like black flame. This horse was terrible to everyone but Jody. In the schoolyard, the boys begged rides, and Jody smilingly agreed. But no sooner were they mounted than the black demon pitched them off. Why, that was his name, Black Demon. For a moment, the water trilling and the grass and the sunshine came back. And then, sometimes in the night, the ranch people safe in their beds heard a roar of hoofs go by. They said, it's Jody on Demon. He's helping out the sheriff again. And then the golden dust filled the air in the arena at the Salinas Rodeo. The announcer called the roping contests. When Jody rode the black horse to the starting chute, the other contestants shrugged and gave up first place, for it was well known that Jody and Demon could rope and throw and tie a steer a great deal quicker than any roping team of two men could. 
Toady was not a boy anymore, and Demon was not a horse. The two, together, were one glorious individual. And then the president wrote a letter and asked them to help catch a bandit in Washington. Hmm. Jody settled himself comfortably in the grass. The little stream of water whined into the mossy tub. The year passed slowly on. Time after time, Jody gave up his colt for lost. No change had taken place in Nellie. Carl Tiflin still drove her to a light cart, and she pulled on a hay rake and worked the Jackson Fork tackle when the hay was being put into the barn. The summer passed, and the warm, bright autumn, and then the frantic morning winds began to twist along the ground, and a chill came into the air, and the poison oak turned red. One morning in September, when he had finished his breakfast, Jody's mother called him into the kitchen. She was pouring boiling water into a bucket full of dry midlands and stirring the materials to a steaming paste. Yes, ma'am, Jody asked. Watch how I do it. You'll have to do it after this every other morning. Well, what is it? Why, it's warm mash for Nellie. It'll keep her in good shape. Jody rubbed his forehead with a knuckle. Is she all right? he asked timidly. Mrs. Tiflin put down the kettle and stirred the mash with a wooden paddle. Of course she's all right. Only you've got to take better care of her from now on. Here, take this breakfast out to her. Jody seized the bucket and ran down past the bunkhouse, past the barn, with the heavy bucket banging against his knees. He found Nellie playing with water in the trough pushing waves and tossing her head so that the water slopped out on the ground. Jody climbed the fence and set the bucket of steaming mash beside her. Then he stepped back to look at her, and she was changed. Her stomach was swollen. When she moved, her feet touched the ground gently. She buried her nose in the bucket and gobbled the hot breakfast. And when she'd finished and had pushed the bucket around the ground with her nose a little, she stepped quietly over to Jody and rubbed her cheek against him. Billy Buck came out of the saddle room and walked over. Starts fast when it starts, doesn't it? Did it come all at once? Oh, no. You just stopped looking for a while. He pulled her head around toward Jody. And she's going to be nice, too. See how nice her eyes are? Some mares get mean. But when they turn nice, they just love everything. Nellie slipped her head under Billy's arm and rubbed her neck up and down between his arm and his side. You better treat her awful nice now, Billy said. How long will it be? Jody demanded breathlessly. The man counted in whispers on his fingers. Whisper. About three months, he said aloud. You can't tell exactly. Sometimes it's 11 months to the day. But it might be two weeks early or a month late without hurting anything. Jody looked hard at the ground. 
Billy, he began nervously. Billy, you'll call me when it's getting born, won't you? You'll let me be there, won't you? Billy bit the tip of Nellie's ear with his front teeth. Carl says he wants you to start right at the start. That's the only way to learn. Nobody can tell you anything. Like my old man did with me about the saddle blanket. Ooh. He was a government packer when I was your size, and I helped him some. Well, one day, I left a wrinkle in my saddle blanket and made a saddle sore. Now, my old man didn't give me hell at all. But the next morning, he saddled me up with a 40-pound stock saddle. I had to lead my horse and carry that saddle over a whole damn mountain in the sun. It darn near killed me. But I never left no wrinkles in a blanket again. I couldn't. I never in my life since then put on a blanket that I felt that saddle on my back. Jody reached up a hand and took hold of Nellie's mane. You'll tell me what to do about everything, won't you? I guess you know everything about horses, don't you? Billy laughed. Why, I'm half horse myself, you see, he said. My ma died when I was born, and being my old man was a government packer in the mountains, and no cows around most of the time, why, he just gave me mostly mare's milk. He continued seriously, and horses know that. Don't you know it, Nellie? The mare turned her head and looked full into his eyes for a moment. And this is a thing horses practically never do. Billy was proud and sure of himself now. He boasted a little. I'll see you get a good colt. I'll start you right. And if you do like I say, you'll have the best horse in the county. That made Jody feel warm and proud, too. So proud that when he went into the house, he bowed his legs and swayed his shoulders as horsemen do, and he whispered, Whoa, you black demon, you! Steady down there and keep your feet on the ground. The winter fell sharply. A few preliminary gusty showers and then a strong, steady rain. The hill, the hills, lost their straw color and blackened under the water, and the winter streams scrambled noisily down the canyons. The mushrooms and puffballs popped up, and the new grass started before Christmas. But this year, Christmas was not the central day to Jody. Some under, undetermined time in January had become the axis day around which the months swung. When the rains fell, he put Nellie in a box stall and fed her warm food every morning and curried her and brushed her. The mare was swelling so greatly that Jody became alarmed. She'll pop wide open, he said to Billy. Billy laid his strong square hand against Nellie's swollen abdomen. Feel here he said quietly. You can feel it move. I guess it would surprise you if there were twin colts. 
You don't think so, Jody cried. You don't think it'll be twins, do you, Billy? No, I don't, but it does happen sometimes. During the first two weeks of January, it rained steadily. Jody spent most of his time, when he wasn't in school, in the box stall with Nellie. Twenty times a day he put his hand on her stomach to feel the colt move. Nellie became more and more gentle and friendly to him. She rubbed her nose on him. She whinnied softly when he walked into the barn. Carl Tiflin came to the barn with Jody one day. He looked admiringly at the groomed bay coat, and he felt the firm flesh over ribs and shoulders. You've done a good job, he said to Jody, and this was the greatest praise he knew how to give. Jody was tight with pride for hours afterward. The 15th of January came, and the colt was not born, and the 20th came. A lump of fear began to form in Jody's stomach. Is it all right? he demanded of Billy. Oh, sure. And again, are you sure it's going to be all right? Billy stroked the mare's neck. She swayed her head uneasily. I told you, it wasn't always the same, Jody. You just have to wait. When the end of the month arrived with no birth, Jody grew frantic. Nellie was so big that her breath came heavily and her ears were closed together and straight up as though her head ached. Jody's sleep grew restless and his dreams confused. On the night of the 2nd of February, he awakened crying. His mother called to him, Jody, you're dreaming. Wake up and start over again. But Jody was filled with terror and desolation. He lay quietly a few moments, waiting for his mother to go back to sleep. And then, he slipped his clothes on and crept out in his bare feet. The night was black and thick. The little misting rain fell. The cypress tree in the bunkhouse loomed and then dropped back into the mist. The barn door screeched as he opened it, a thing it never did in the daytime. Jody went to the rack and found a lantern and a tin box of matches. He lighted the wick and walked down the long straw-covered aisle to Nellie's stall. She was standing up. Her whole body weaved from side to side. Jody called to her, So, Nellie, so, Nellie. But she did not stop her swaying, nor look around. When he stepped into the stall and touched her on the shoulder, she shivered under his hand. Then, Billy Buck's voice came from the hayloft, right above the stall. Jody, what are you doing? Jody started back and turned miserable eyes up toward the nest where Billy was laying in the hay. Is she all right, do you think? Why, sure, I think so. You won't let anything happen, Billy. You're sure you won't? Billy growled down at him. I told you I'd call you, and I will. Now you go get back to bed and stop worrying that mare. She's got enough to do without you worrying her. Jody cringed. 
for he never heard Billy speak in such a tone. I only thought I'd come and see, he said. I woke up. Billy softened a little then. Well, you get to bed. I don't want you bothering her, I told you. I'd get you a good colt. Get along now. Jody walked slowly out of the barn. He blew out the lantern and set it in the rack. The blackness of the night and the chilled mists struck him and enfolded him. He wished he believed everything Billy said, as he had before the pony died. It was a moment before his eyes, blinded by the feeble lantern flame, could make any form of the darkness. The damp ground chilled his bare feet. At the cypress tree, the roosting turkeys chattered a little in alarm, and the two good dogs responded to their duty and came charging out, barking to frighten away the coyotes they thought were prowling under the tree. As he crept through the kitchen, Jody stumbled over a chair. Carl called from his bedroom. Who's there? What's the matter there? And Mrs. Tiflin said sleepily, What's the matter, Carl? The next second, Carl came out of the bedroom carrying a candle and found Jody before he could get into bed. What are you doing out here? Jody turned shyly away. I, I was down to see the mayor. For a moment, anger at being awakened fought with approval in Jody's father. Listen, he said finally. There's not a man in this country that knows more about colts than Billy. You leave it to him. Words burst out of Jody's mouth. But the pony died. Don't. Don't go blaming that on him, Carl said sternly. If Billy can't save a horse, it can't be saved. Mrs. Tiflin called. Make him clean his feet before he goes to bed, Carl. He'll be sleepy all day tomorrow. It seemed to Jody that he had just closed his eyes to try to go to sleep when he was shaken violently by the shoulder. Billy Buck stood beside him, holding a lantern in his hand. Get up, he said. Hurry up. He turned and walked quickly out of the room. Mrs. Tiflin called. What's the matter? Is that you, Billy? Yes, ma'am. Is Nellie ready? Yes, ma'am. All right, I'll get up and heat some water in case you need it. Jody jumped into his clothes so quickly that he was out the back door before Billy's swinging lantern was halfway to the barn. There was a rim of dawn on the mountain tops, but no light had penetrated into the cup of the ranch yet. Jody ran frantically after the lantern and caught up to Billy just as he reached the barn. Billy hung the lantern to a nail on the stall side and took off his blue denim coat. Jody saw that he wore only a sleeveless shirt under it. Nellie was standing rigid and stiff. While they watched, she crouched. Her whole body was wrung with a spasm. The spasm passed, but in a few moments it started over again and passed. Billy muttered nervously, 
There's something wrong. His bare hand disappeared. Oh, Jesus, he said. It's wrong. The spasm came again, and this time Billy strained, and the muscles stood out on his arm and shoulder. He heaved strongly, his forehead beaded with perspiration. Nellie cried with pain. Billy was muttering, Oh, it's wrong. I can't turn it. It's way wrong. It's turned all around wrong. He glared wildly toward Jody, and then his fingers made a careful, careful diagnosis. His cheeks were growing tight and gray. He looked for a long questioning minute at Jody, standing back of the stall. Then Billy stepped to the rack under the manure window and picked up a horseshoe hammer with his wet right hand. Go outside, Jody, he said. The boy stood still and stared dully at him. Go outside, I tell you, it'll be too late. Jody didn't move. Then Billy walked quickly to Nellie's head. He cried, turn your face away. Damn, you turn your face. This time Jody obeyed. His head turned sideways. He heard Billy whispering hoarsely in the stall, and then he heard a hollow crunch of bone. Nellie chuckled shrilly. Jody looked back in time to see the hammer rise and fall again on the flat forehead. Then Nellie fell heavily to her side and quivered for a moment. Billy jumped to the swollen stomach. His big pocket knife was in his hand. He lifted the skin and drove the knife in. He sawed and ripped at the tough belly. The air filled with the sick odor of warm living entrails. The other horses reared back against their halter chains and squealed and kicked. Billy dropped the knife. Both of his arms plunged into the terrible ragged hole and dragged out a big white dripping bundle. His teeth tore a hole in the covering. A little black head appeared through the tear and little slick wet ears. A gurgling breath was drawn and then another. Billy shucked off the sack and found his knife and cut the string. For a moment he held the little black colt in his arms and looked at it. And then he walked slowly over and laid it in the straw at Jody's feet. Billy's face and arms and chest were dripping red. His body shivered and his teeth chattered. His voice was gone. He spoke in a throaty whisper. There's your colt. I promised, and there it is. I had to do it. 
to. He stopped and looked over his shoulder into the box stall. Go get hot water and a sponge, he whispered. Wash him, dry him the way his mother would. You'll have to feed him by hand, but there's your colt, the way I promised. Jody stared stupidly at the wet, panting foal. It stretched out its chin and tried to raise its head. Its blank eyes were navy blue. Damn you, Billy shouted. Will you go now for the water? Will you go? Then Jody turned and trotted out of the barn into the dawn. He ached from his throat to his stomach. His legs were stiff and heavy. He tried to be glad because of the colt. But the bloody face and the haunted tired eyes of Billy Buck hung in the air. <laughs>